Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode one of your Chopper Town podcast. This is All Things Motorcycle with your girl in the know, Jackie Van Ham. This podcast is dedicated, obviously, to all things motorcycle, whether it's the past, present, or future of bikes. We're going to discuss it here on this program. Today's show starts at the very beginning of motorcycles, which you can't talk about without talking about bicycles. That's right. We're going to talk a little bit about bicycles and how they kicked off motorcycling entirely. Today's show is going to talk a little bit about the history of one of the earliest motorcycling companies, and that is Indian Motorcycle. We're going to talk a little bit about the roots of that incredible company, and then we're going to talk to one of my good friends, a gentleman named Doug Wathke, who is absolutely an aficionado of Indian Motorcycle and one of my good friends. So I've worked in the motorcycling industry for about nine years now. I am a spokesperson. I am an announcer. I do some race commentary and announcing. I've been a brand ambassador, a product specialist. If you name it, I've surely managed to talk about it in the motorcycling community for the past nine years. But my love of motorcycles started much, much, much earlier, about when I was probably 10 or 11 years old. My dad made the questionable decision to purchase a dirt bike for me. Now, we were raised in rural northern Illinois. I had always been running around on four-wheelers and six-wheelers and all sorts of fun stuff, so I wasn't new to that, but I definitely had never been on a motorcycle. Well, he had to go to work the next day, and he left my stepbrothers, who are all older than me, in charge of teaching me to ride this bike. And the only rule was they had to teach me, and I had to wear a helmet. Well, you can tell where this story is going because in about 27 minutes, not only did I manage to not figure out how to ride the motorcycle, well, I knew how to ride it, but technically I couldn't stop the motorcycle. And then, of course, I was not wearing a helmet. So that lasted for, like I said, about 27 minutes of fun until I smashed that bike up and then there was no more motorcycles for Jackie, unfortunately. So my love really started, you know, fast forward, you know, eight years or so. I was living out in San Diego, California beautiful sunny Southern California and a, just a real hub of motorcycling in the United States. There's just bikes everywhere because the weather's always gorgeous. So I was surrounded by motorcycles. I'd already had the bug. I already had the itch from, you know, that experience when I was 10 or 11 years old. And I had started picking up and reading a magazine called the Walnuts Cycle Trader. And the Walnuts Cycle Trader was ironically put out in, in, in Northern Illinois where I was from. And while it certainly was a cycle trader and you could buy and sell bikes, it was also a really great resource for vintage bike dorks because it had republished articles of the original time, original articles of when these bikes came out. So it would have product reviews, it would have the specs, it had all of the details published alongside in their original form in this Cycle Trader magazine. And it was, I read it, I devoured it, it was like the Bible to me, I memorized it, I just, I loved it. And that's when I really fell all the way in love with motorcycles and vintage motorcycles to be more specific. So at about the age of 25 years old, I purchased my, my very first bike, which was a 1964 Honda Dream 305. I'd already memorized all of the specs. I knew exactly what I wanted when I pulled the trigger on it. Uh, that was my very first motorcycle. So I've been in, mo in love with motorcycles since a very, very young age. And like I said, I've been in this industry for about nine years now. So 
I figured, why not take all these years of knowledge and learning and the three years that I've been, you know, vlogging over on Chopper Town and bring them to a podcast format. So this podcast is really all about talking about a little bit of the history of some of these bikes, bikes, but also taking a minute or several minutes actually, on the back end of these programs to interview friends of mine that I've met along the way who will be related in some way, shape, or form to the type and brand and make and model and, and the beginning parts of the program. So the, f- for, the format for this show is the first half. We're going to talk a little bit about one specific topic, whether it's the history of a bike or, or whatever. Then the back end, we're going to interview a good friend of mine and we're just going to casually chat a little bit about that related topic. So, welcome to our very first episode here on All Things Motorcycle, your Chopper Town podcast. Today we are talking about the beginnings of motorcycles and the beginnings of one particular motorcycling company, and that is Indian Motorcycle. I felt like no better person to talk to here in the United States than my good buddy, Doug Wathke, who is an absolute Indian motorcycle aficionado, even though he hates that title. I'm going to call him one anyway. He's a load of fun. He's a hoot. He's ridden around the world multiple times on vintage bikes, including a 1948 Indian motorcycle. So I thought he would be the perfect person to talk to for the second half of today's show. In order to talk about the history of motorcycles, we really have to talk a little bit about the history of bicycles. In the United States in 1880, high-wheeler bicycles were the very first boom of bicycles. There was competitive racing, sales were very good, there was a lot going on around that machine, but they were very, very difficult to ride. High-wheelers were, of course, those four to six feet tall bikes with the huge front wheel and the tiny, tiny little rear wheel. They took a lot of effort, a lot of strength, and a ton of skill in order to ride. One of the best racers of that type of bicycle was a gentleman named George Hendy. That name will be important here as we get into today's story. But in 1890, all of that changed with the invention of the ordinary bicycle. The ordinary bicycle is very similar to what today's bicycles look like. It has the matching front and rear wheel. It's chain driven, so it doesn't require quite so much effort in order to put power to the ground. And this equalized bicycles for everybody. Men could ride them. Women could ride them. Children could ride them. Everybody could ride bicycles. So So starting in 1890 to about 1896, bicycles were a $100 million industry, and there were well over 600 professional racers of bicycles. One of those folks was a gentleman named Oscar Hedstrom. Bicycle racing took place mainly on these wooden board tracks called velodromes. It was very, very fast style of racing, and in order to re- to attain the highest top speeds, of course, you would want to be drafting. However, you would not want to draft an opposite you know, team. You'd want to be drafting on your own if you were in the front lead pace. So they started using bicycles, other bicyclists, as pacers for the actual race teams. But it would take, you know, six, seven, eight different pace bicycles in order to finish a complete race. So starting in the late 1800s, 
engines were starting to be imported from a French company called De Dion over to the United States, and you would start seeing engines being mounted into frames. One of the very first opportunities for this to have happened happened at a huge race at Madison Square Garden. A French bicycle race team came over, and their pace team machines were motorized bicycles with these engines mounted in them. So at this huge Madison Square Garden event, 10,000 spectators was the first opportunity for people to really see motorized bicycles. Oscar Hedstrom, of course, wanted to became, wanting to become you know, wanting to be very, very competitive and just a really incredibly skilled mechanic on his own, started modifying frames and putting these engines into his own bikes to create this excellent pace team that would then be hired all around the United States to pace for some of the best bicycle racing teams in the country. So now you see where this is going, right? All of these spectators every single weekend all across America going to go see bicycle racing were inadvertently exposed to motorized bicycles. George Hendy could see the writing on the wall and at the late 1800s realized that the bigger business was not in bicycles, which now by this point, like I had said, this was a huge industry and there was over 300 bicycle manufacturers in the United States alone. So that big, huge boom of course, led to a glut of bicycles in the United States, and prices began to drop, companies began to close left and right or get bought up by their competitors, and as quickly as the bicycle boom happened, it absolutely just whop, 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 inflated on itself or deflated on itself when more motorized bicycles came to be. So at the turn of the century, 1900, George Hendy approached Oscar Hedstrom. It is not totally clear where they crossed paths, but both of them were East Coast based. So it's not surprising that they managed to cross paths somewhere along the way and they struck a deal. And it, and George Handy contracted Oscar Hedstrom to build the very first prototype for the Handy Manufacturing Company. That's right. The beginnings of Indian Motorcycle were actually the Handy Manufacturing Company, not the Indian. Indian was a name that he used for his bicycles that he was still making in the middle part of the 1900-1990s. So, at the end of 1901, they had signed the document. They had gone into business together. They had, uh, and Oscar Hedstrom had delivered his very first prototype to George Hendy. That first prototype, just so you know, was manufactured actually in Connecticut. A lot of folks believe that Springfield, Massachusetts is the foundation for Indian motorcycle, which it technically kind of is in a way. But the very first machine was actually made by Oscar Hedstrom, and it was made in Connecticut. A couple of interesting side notes also going on at that time is that motor bicycles used as pacers were not always internal combustion engines. The very first motor bicycles used as pacers actually were, elect were electric. They were battery operated. Another interesting side note as far as Indian motorcycle goes is that while their headquarters was going to be in Massachusetts at the Hendy Manufacturing Company, the castings for the very first year year to two years or so were actually in northern Illinois by the Aurora Manufacturing Company in Aurora, Illinois, located about an hour and a half outside of Chicago. 
While the very first motor bicycle from Hendy Manufacturing was released late, late 1901, 1902 really was their very, very first real year of operation. For those first very early years of Hendy Manufacturing, manufacturing that Indian motorbike, and the castings coming from Aurora, almost 40% of those castings were garbage. This is all, you know, you have to remember, this is all incredibly new. Casting and engine building in this way was very, very new. So these engines, every single motor bicycle that was put out was individually tested back in-house in Massachusetts by Oscar Hedstrom, the lead mechanic and basically head designer for the company. Every single bike was hand-tuned, every single bike had, was hand-adjusted for every single purchase, and just a really interesting side note is while all of this heavy, you know, labor-intensive work was going on, they still were racing almost every single weekend in order to keep this motor bicycle in front of people, because now, in 1902, other companies had started noticing this new boom of motorized bicycles as well. We're going to start seeing Harley-Davidson and many other companies start coming into being. So everything was just happening so quickly and so fast. This is why a lot of this early history is lost in translation because, because it was happening so fast and everything was changing every single weekend. There was multiple prototypes. There was all this competition happening. There was one-offs. There was factory racers. There was just so much happening in these very, very early days. It kind of boggles the mind that these companies even managed to hold it together and continue growing and developing and becoming successful at that time. The story of this scrappy American company becoming an absolute icon in motorcycling is certainly an interesting story, and we'll continue it on episode two. But for now, I want to introduce one of my good friends, Mr. Doug Wathke, an absolute Indian motorcycling super fan. Hello? Mr. Doug Wathke. Hey, darling. Hey, how are you? Thank you so much for joining me today. No, no problem. What are you wearing? <laughs> um, it is cold and dreary and disgusting here in Kentucky. So I'm wearing some very, not very sexy, like five shirts and a scarf. And I don't know. What, how's the weather down by you? Is it nice and warm? Yeah, I'm in a t-shirt. The garage door's open. You suck. <laughs> Another wonderful day in L.A. Oh, Lord. Lower Alabama. Yeah. So thank you again for um, getting on the phone with me. I really do appreciate it. I've started the, doing a... Yeah, little, no problem. I wanted to start doing a little bit of a podcast over here for the Chopper Town folks, because um, I don't have enough to do with all the videos and things that I that I try to do every single week. I figured I'd better jump on the podcast bandwagon. So I have made... Well. Yeah, I mean, I may as well, right? I just am sitting around eating bonbons, so I figured I'd better go ahead and make some use of myself and my lovely speaking voice so i figured i would go ahead and start doing a little bit of podcasting but anywho so for well, today you know and, and i'm perfect for it because mom always said i had a face for radio <laughs> well i knew when i was thinking up the list of who i was going to talk to on this show and who i wanted to talk to on this program i was like you know i've got so many rad friends and characters and just 
you know, really fun, awesome people in my life. Luckily, you happen to be one of them, my friend. And I always love talking to you and, and you and you always crack me up. And you also are just a wellspring of knowledge. And one of the first programs for the show, <laughs> I mean, I mean, not only are you wellspring of knowledge about motorcycles, but just like all sorts of weird shit, which I love that about you, Doug. So, um, my first show for today is talking a little bit about the beginnings of Indian motorcycles. So earlier in the program, I covered a little bit of, you know, the beginnings of, of motorcycles, particularly for Indian, but for really for everybody, honestly, was going to be bicycles and then bicycles that have engines and all that kind of development, all the awesome stuff that Indian came up with and their development and their progress. But the reason I want to talk to you is because you definitely do have a bit of a thing for some early Indian motorcycles. Well, I got some newer ones, too. I got a, a 48, a 49. <laughs> Man, that's pretty modern for you. Yeah, well, I'm considering they went out of business in, in you know, 53, so, I mean, that's pretty much the last of Run. It's the last. It's the last of the. It's the final hurrah for the original, the OG Indian motorcycle before yeah. it transitioned into the Royal Enfield and Climber days. But let's not get ahead of ourselves because that's tomorrow's program. No, I know. But I know. that's the next program, I should say. But so for today, I kind of just wanted to pick your brain a little bit about why Indian motorcycles. Like what? I mean, I know that you have you have other types of bikes. You've actually have lots of bikes, and congratulations, kudos on your new purchase out at the auctions a couple weeks ago when I last saw you. A beautiful Vincent motorcycle, but uh, you seem to do an awful lot and really focus a lot on the earlier Indian motorcycles, you know, especially, I know you've ridden your 48 around the world, and I know that you've done the yeah. Cannonball. Can you talk a little bit about both those machines? Yeah, well, the uh, I've done, let's see, four Cannonballs so far, and three of them were on Indians. I did uh, a 28-101 Scout in 12 and 18, and then I did a 1916 Indian Power Plus Sport Track Racer in 2016. That sounds terrifically comfortable. You know, and I, when I built this thing, I'm looking at it, it's like an early cafe racer. It looks kind of <laughs> like a bicycle with a huge engine and drop-down handlebars. I'm yeah. like, you know, this is going to be uncomfortable for the first six or seven days and then it's gonna get okay and it pretty much hurt the same on day 14 as it did on day one <laughs> it was but you know what i looked cool i bet so, no you know that that's what counts when it comes down to it's not how comfortable you are it's how cool you look i mean is that really what motorcycles are all about anyway <laughs> but i love no i love no, that i mean i do like some comfort yeah, no, no. I'm just, te I'm just teasing, and especially for for those of those of the folks that are listening that are not familiar with the Cannonball, the Cannonball has been going on for several years now, and every, I think it's every other year now that was when they run it, and they change kind of the years that qualify. So some years have been really, really, really early, and then some years have been a little bit closer to the 1930s. So some, you know, plush luxury of 1930s machines. But I love that not only did you go ahead and like put the screws to yourself about riding a well over 100 year old machine, you decided it needed to be in a board tracker style, which I know is going to be stripped down, hard solo saddle, upside down bars, like just a, like a, like a race machine. So no, no kind of sort of plush, no kind of sort of luxury going on with that bike at all. But, but how did it perform? How did it go? It was 
I, I, I did my best to keep it under 60. Um, my, and the motor, the bike did flawless, except I had tire issues. The only Cannonball I've ever had where I had tire issues, and I had four flats on that Cannonball, and that, uh, there was uh, one day I had two in a row and ended up on the police truck because I just couldn't get the second one fixed in time, you know, because you're, you're, it's time. And there's a sweep truck that comes along behind everybody, and if you break down, if you can't fix it before that truck gets to you, you go on the truck and they take you to the, the end of that day's, you know, ride where everybody stops at big motel or something. And then you try to get it fixed before the next morning, which, of course, with a flat tire, wasn't that big of a deal. But, yeah, I, I lost a couple of miles twice because of a flat tire. Oh, gosh, what a bummer. You know, if, if anything, I would imagine, you know, that the bike would fail, not because the bike isn't a good bike, but because it is over 100 years old. In my mind, that would be the weak link would be the bike. But I love that it's your tires instead that decided to poop out. Well, two of, in all fairness, two of, two of the flats were completely my fault. <laughs> and, and one of them was just, I don't know, just had a flat and one was just dumb luck up. <laughs> a truck passed me, threw up a piece of metal, and got my wheel busted and smoked and punctured a tire. Oh. Uh, but two were my fault because I was too cheap to just send my hubs out to Buchanan's. I had modern tires, 21s, put on it. So instead of sending my hubs out to Buchanan's, I just had to make spokes and I laced it. But when I trued it up the second time, well, you know, after riding it for a day and tightened everything, I didn't pull the tire off and grind all the spoke nipples down, and one of them worked its way through the tube. So, you know, totally my fault. I called, when I do something stupid that costs me money, I call the idiot tax. <laughs> so that was an idiot tax I had to pay that day. And you know what also really fascinates me about you doing it on that, on that you said 1916 board tracker style? Um, so, so that 1916, I've been working a little bit with the folks over at Sons of Speed, Billy Lane's event, which is an antique motorcycle and board tracker type event that he hosts a couple different places around the country. And I was not really aware, I'm going to admit my own kind of ignorance, but when I think of bikes that are over 100 years old, in my mind, I'm kind of thinking, like, the rest of the bikes that were on the Cannonball that were with you, like... They've got like three horsepower, maybe five horsepower. They, you know, they they barely move. But these bikes, even at nineteen sixteen, and the one that you were on, they haul ass. Yeah, I, I had mine up to eighty a couple of times before I looked down and realized I was going that fast. But you know, every time I'd be going long and I'd see a Harley in front of me, you know, I, I gotta pass it. <laughs> so. We're definitely going to cover on some some later episodes the rivalry between the two, and I'll be sure to give you I'll be sure to give you a call back. Because that being said, though, I know you've got a couple in, a couple Harleys in the stable. Well, actually, I have more Harleys than I do Indians. Yeah, uh, but that's because Harleys are easy to find and cheap. Yeah, you know, Indians are you know they're they're harder to find. And another reason I have so many more Harleys is because they made Harleys a lot longer than they made Indians. There's a lot more different models out there. And, you know, I know people that, you know, they want like every color knucklehead ever made stuff. I just want so That's kind of where I'm at now. It's just one of each. Just one of each. Not, that's... Not, not every color, but every model. That's interesting. There's some uh, boat brands that I, you know, that into. But for the most part, yeah, kind of like that. 
What do you think it is about the Indians that you are just so, you know, I don't want to say in love with because that sounds, but that might be the right phrase, but what, what really attracts you to these, to these Indian motorcycles? What really caught your eye or caught your fancy or intrigued you and got you, got you headed down the path? since the very beginnings of both of those companies, there's been a very us versus them type of vibe or I, it just really fascinates me because it's, it's always been that way since the very, very early days. It was either you're a Harley, Harley guy. And back then, you know, it was, it was a gentleman's machine before it became the dirty biker machine and, and blah, 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 blah. And all the other phases that it's gone through. But back then, you know, it, would, it was a gentleman's machine and Indian, wow, beautiful. And at the time, very innovative, particularly in, in the teen years for compared to, comparatively to the other machines that were available, they were, you know, they, they had an elegance to them. So they were gentlemanly also, but they were very competitive. They were really obsessed with the performance of the bike. But I think that that really speaks to the roots of Indian motorcycle because you know, one of the original founders was a very, very competitive, very, very um, well-respected bicycle racer. So right. I think that that's... And, and uh, I think he got headstrom, and I'm no expert by any means. By anything I say, don't ever say, well, Doug said, because Doug makes shit up all the time. So I'm no expert. <laughs> but if I'm not mistaken, it started off that um, uh, he got headstrom to design motor uh hendy did uh because they wanted it for uh to pace the bicycles correct and uh you know and they get the bicycles at speed and then they're like oh wait a minute screw them bicycles let's race these noisy things yes so you're absolutely and, so you're absolutely and, and, right and, okay well you know like i said i'm i don't ever claim to be an expert on anything so because there's a lot of experts out there <laughs> Yeah. I'll give you my idea, and I always have an opinion, but it's, it's not an expert opinion. <laughs> <laughs> that's no, no, no. That's what I wanted you on the show for because the first part of this program, you know, I, I, talk, I go into a little bit of the history and stuff. So I'll cover all that nerdy stuff. But I wanted the last half of of every show to talk to somebody who is just, you know, really passionate about the brand or has opinions about the brand or 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 topic, you know, of topic of the program. So that's kind of why you were perfect to me because I've known you now for gosh, it must be I don't know, maybe fifteen years now. And at, even, at least. I, I think so too. But when we first met, 
the reason why I met you is because you are RTW Doug, which is, stands for Around the World Doug. And I was trying to put together a trip on my own and just go to Europe, which I thought I was a pretty hot dog for doing so. And then I met you and you're like, oh, yeah, I rode my 1948 Indian around the world. That's who I am. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I'm just some dummy. <laughs> but because you have just... I know. I never once said that. No. I, mean, I, was, I was proud of you for taking the initiative to do it, and I'm glad I was able to help in a little way for, you know, figuring out how to do it. No, no, you definitely are. You definitely and, do. and I know you didn't mean it like that, but some people, you know, they, they like apologize because they haven't done, like, some, well, to, to one person, riding, you know, from Ohio to Sturgis is the, you know, an epic trip, and I get that. You know? For sure. And I completely agree with you. And I love that, that that's totally true. You know, and you not only helped inspire me and guided my path of doing a little bit more long distance and overseas riding, but I know that you have been this inspiration for countless numbers of other people because I know who you are. So I just wanted to give the chance to kind of introduce you a little bit on, on this show, but also talk a little bit about the history of Indian and all that kind of good stuff. But I love that you did do this huge epic crazy adventure on this antique old bike and i thought that that was just really neat so i kind of wanted to have the chance to talk to you about that but also um are you do you have plans to be in the cannonball again oh yeah i'm, I'm riding brand x this year what's that i'm riding brand x this year oh i have to I make fun of myself because <laughs> you know, if you can't make fun of yourself, you should make fun of other people. <laughs> what are you riding? So, Have so you built I'm the? Be a, uh, it's a 1920 uh, Harley JD that's fully customized. Very cool. Um, and it was I built, I rode it also in the 14 Cannonball. And in the 14 Cannonball, I snapped a uh, crank pin in the middle of Kansas and got it back together and finished it, but I lost a couple of days, you know, because rebuilding the motor. So I'm doing it on the same bike, and I, this time I'm hoping to get, you know, all the miles. Gotcha. But, uh, the bike is really interesting. It was a custom bike built by a guy named Hank the Hermit in, I think, Weymouth, Massachusetts, back in the 50s. And he built a lot, not a lot, but he built several custom bikes. Um, he was, you know, like the Billy Lane of, of his day up there. Uh, but, uh, you know, one of his bikes is in the Wheels Through Time Museum. I found this one at the Oli Swap Meet. Uh, I think in 13, and I know of a couple of others of his that are, you know, still out there. So I, I think it's cool that I'm riding a bike that was actually, I mean, I've changed it a little bit to make it more me, but the the bear, the bones of the bike was custom built by a guy in the 50s in Massachusetts. Super interesting. That's cool. Um, I also just wanted to check with, or I want to talk to you a little bit about you know, we've covered that you really fell in love with Indian at the very beginning and started kind of collecting Indian motorcycle because of not wanting to be that typical Harley guy. But was there anything also about, I mean, did you love the design of the bikes? Did you love the way that they looked or were you familiar with their incredible performance or you just knew it was a V-twin and it wasn't Harley? <laughs> well, it kind of started out, I mean, you know, the iconic, you know, skirted fenders, which I, I have to say now that I'm, I, I actually like the earlier ones without the skirts better, but I do have some skirted fender Indians. Um, but that, I mean, when you see a skirted fender Indian, you know it's a skirted fender Indian. Yeah. You know, either that or, or you're drunk and it's a Kawasaki Drifter and you don't know any better. 
made those like back like 20 years ago or something. Yeah. And, um, but whatever, it's, that's a, to me a very iconic look. It's kind of like a, you know, a Harley knucklehead or panhead, you know, rigid framed Harley. This stock is, is very iconic. You see the outline and people know what it is. The same with the skirted fender Indian to me. I agree. It, I don't know. It just kind of, you know, kind of got started because I like the look of it. And, uh, I don't know. It just uh, kind of snowballed from there. So do you have, if we were going to talk about Doug's ultimate fantasy garage, do you have your fantasy bike or, more specifically, your fantasy Indian motorcycle in your garage already? And if you do not, what bike is that? Um, no, no, I think I'm, I've got it. I'm good. <laughs> I was not expecting you to say that because I know the the tons of machines that you have in your garage and have had in your garages. Oh my gosh, I was gonna say I was waiting to hear like some sort of just epic, crazy, you know, first year Indian something something, and you're like, no, nah, I'm good. Yeah, no, was, uh, I I finally got a four cylinder, and uh, that was that's pretty much the to me kind of the the pinnacle. That um, is a, that is a doozy. Is, but speak, sorry, speak. I was going to say, that is a doozy of a bike, the Indian 4. But speaking of Indian 4, is that a real Indian? Because that's an ace that Indian bought. True. They bought it in, uh, in 28. Indian bought eight. Yes. And then by 32, they had redesigned, I think, 32. Uh, they changed some things along the way, but in 32, I think, is when they really redesigned it. And then in 36 and 7, they redesigned it again. And then 38 to 42 is probably, you know, the the last redesign. And there's not a whole lot other than it's an inline four-cylinder that's uh, comparable to the Ace. I mean, there's, there's totally different bikes. I, I would like to get an early uh early four, but you know, I'm, I'm good with the one I got. I'm, 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 I'm happy. So my other, so my, the problem with it is, and I love riding it, but I'm just so afraid I'm going to break it. I don't blame you. Cause that machine, that machine is just absolutely exquisite. And I, I mean, as much as I believe in you should ride all of your bikes and all of your machines and there should not be like trophies. I would have a, I'd be really, really gutted if something happened to that bike. And that was my bike. Have you seen this one? I think I have. I think I've seen photos of it. I don't think I've seen it live and in person though. But I'm a huge four. I'm a huge four fan. I just think that they're one of the most beautiful bikes ever made. But I do know that they were considered to be quite finicky and a little fussy. So I was gonna, that was going to be my next question: is is that to me your favorite like pinnacle of Indian motorcycles? No, my my favorite Indian is my '36 Chief. Okay. I, I bought it. I found it out in Northwest Washington four years ago, and the guy that owned it had a stroke, like, I don't know, eight or ten years before that. It had been sitting in his garage. And uh, he had a lot of people. He had put it up for sale. He had a lot of people after it. And I'm like, look, if you sell it to me, you know, I've, I've, I've met everybody else's offer. I'm like, if you sell it to me, I'm going to fly out there. I'm going to get it running. I'm going to ride it home. So he laughed. He's like, all right, I'm going to sell it to you. So I flew out there, got it running, and rode it 35 miles, 3,500 miles home. 
and uh, I broke a tag bracket and used the cord oil. <laughs> Outstanding. So I, I absolutely love that bike. And now it's, it's actually just the motors at my buddy's right now getting up, getting freshened up just because I literally wore it out. And I, I don't know how many miles on it when I got it, you know, how long it's been since it had been rebuilt. But, uh, yeah, now it's going to be fresh again and ready for another cross-country trip. That is excellent. And that, my friend, is why I wanted to have you on today's program. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mr. Doug Watke, the Round the World Doug, one of my one of my good buddies out here in motorcycling. If you do not follow him or check him out, make sure you go track down his social media. Give him a shout. He's always got awesome adventures and rad bikes to back it up. And he is today's special guest talking a little bit of Indian motorcycle. Thank you so much for joining me today, Doug. And that, my friends, brings us to the end of our very first episode here on All Things Motorcycle. Make sure you take a minute, hit that subscribe button. You are not going to want to miss a single minute of any of these episodes where we talk about the roots of motorcycling. Thanks again for tuning in, everybody, and I'll see you on the next program. Bye.